0: Listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas.
1: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing, apologetic, and theological questions of the day.
0: Hello, Brian. Hey, Brother Curtis. How you doing?
1: Doing good. Doing good. Hey, uh, we had Tim Stratton on last week. I couldn't attend, but uh, it sounds like he was, uh, it sounds like he had a couple of shots of espresso while he was talking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the man is a walking encyclopedia, especially man. all things Molinism. <laughs>
1: Oh man, was that guy moving? Man, was he talking? I loved it. I was, I was laughing the whole time, just giggling. It was, it was great. We need to get him on again.
0: Absolutely. I, I hate you couldn't be part of that because, uh, well, we, yeah. Unfortunately, what it was is, uh, we we had uh, all three schedules. We we were trying to get it to work on a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, and it was it became really humorous because every day we had. Uh, settled for 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 him didn't work for me, and every day we had settled for me didn't work for him, and so uh, and every and all the days we <laughs> all the openings were days that, that we didn't work for you, so we we yeah. had to try to make a compromise uh, there, and and, and uh, yeah. but uh, it it turned out to be a good podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed listening to him and. You know, him answering some of those questions, he was he was well-prepared.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, that man knows the stuff. You know, I'd, I'd actually, you know, um, I, I guess, you know, part of it, I'd like to actually dig into some of those questions that we asked. I'd actually like to have him uh, maybe spend a little more time uh, and, diving yeah. into those, you know. Um, and, and I think it's because a lot of those really touch, like, like Jason Klein's question, it really kind of touched some good stuff and was opening up some uh, some good conversation, some good uh, well, say debate, but some good uh, good discussion.
0: I mean, absolutely not. And, th- and I think one w- one of the biggest takeaways I, that and I really stopped to think about it, but one of the biggest takeaways I had from that conversation was the statement he said about, you know, we can envision Aquinas and Molina and Calvin and Arminius all in heaven and and probably figured out that they had more in common than they did apart. And that's that's something I have often thought of myself, because when you go through and read the original writings of these guys, um, I find more points of agreement than i do disagreement the, the biggest issue obviously is is how much she, how much freedom do we have as human beings and how does mm-hmm. god operate in time and i think really that it comes down to those two questions and mm-hmm. i don't know that we we have you know we, we make assumptions we can you know we can have our opinions but when it comes down to some of these issues uh we, we we can talk through them and and um and all but uh sometimes we, we just leave it in the hands of God knowing that he can he's gonna work it all out in the end anyhow. So <laughs> Right. I'm left with right. I'm left with that comfort at least.
1: Right. Right. Yeah and you know I was looking at uh, uh some of the stuff that, that he did talk about and you know really um just the simple just a simple fact that he filled in for William Lane Craig <laughs> I mean uh you're going to call me to go do that <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you never know you never know
1: yeah. but yeah. you
0: know this that you know and I even heard William I, I think I I think I'm telling you this right and I may be misspeaking but it seemed like I heard somewhere where uh Craig Wheeling Craig was saying that that Tim Stratton was like a younger version of himself or something of that nature and if and that's the case boy yeah. that is really a huge compliment and I can't remember where and I may be mistaken so I give that caveat but it seems like I remember hearing that somewhere but yeah
1: yeah well it's just great i mean his his energy and his excitement about it about the topic was very well uh very well received i enjoyed it yeah it's good so uh um uh last week I was kinda listening and Frank Dirk on his uh on his podcast, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Um he covered uh the Aaron Rodgers topic too, like we did. And uh um he kinda went into talking about how uh life is like a football game. Mm-hmm. Um and it was it was really it was really interesting. Um he did a, he covered a lot of the same things that we did um as far as you know, um you know Aaron Rodgers saying he didn't uh, doesn't doesn't believe in a uh, a binary or doesn't uh, think in a binary uh, way um, and and truly Frank pointed out the same thing that, that we did is um, yeah he does if he plays the plays the game of football he he believes in a binary binary belief system absolutely um, so hey uh, we got some we got a uh, book that we want to kind of dive into. Uh, it's the, the, our own layman's manual on Christian apologetics, uh, and I want to cover something. I want to cover something that you you have in here, um, and it's the uh, Risen acronym, the acronym that you come up with. And um, why don't we kind of give a little bit of, of how you came up with this acronym and what inspired you to kind of dig into it? But then uh, let's let's go ahead and start off once once we get once we get that discovered.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was actually writing a paper for Gary one of Gary Habermas' classes, and I think it was on, I think it was a class on miracles, and um, and and we especially talked a lot about the resurrection in in the in the class on miracles, and I believe it was this class if I'm not mistaken. But I was trying to think of a way to you know because we can easily ac- remember acronyms. At least I can. It's kind of yeah. like a chorus of a song if you really think about it. That you know. Uh, Sometimes we don't remember necessarily the the, the the lyrics of the verses, but we do remember the lyrics of the choruses. So something that was easy to remember so that you could take this with you on the streets to, to yeah. tell people about Christ. And so as I was thinking about this, I was, I was working with some of these details and thinking about five of the most important things we had for the resurrection of Jesus. And then it, it kind of... It, you know, it kind of fell together, you know, because mm-hmm. I had to kind of rework the uh, the terminology a little bit on the, on a few of them but to make it fit. But uh, it kind of came together, and I actually used that for a paper in uh, Dr. Habermas's class, and, and it scored pretty good on it. So I thought, well, hey, I, I guess that would be
1: acceptable <laughs> to, to put in the book <laughs> if you kind of got yeah, his seal of true. approval on it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, Risen uh, starts with R. Um, and it says uh, R equals the records of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection Let well, me we kind of dive into
0: that a little Yes, absolutely So as I mentioned here in the book This is on page 97 Numerous biblical and non-biblical records Note that Jesus lived, died by crucifixion And was reported to have been seen alive on the third day After his crucifixion And one of the things that stood out to me Whenever I started is back in 2005. I picked up um, some of Josh McDowell's materials and Lee Strobel's materials, and it really amazed me that there were. And this is one of the things that really floored me whenever I was researching uh, the information on Jesus's resurrection, because if the Jesus Seminar back in the late 90s seemed to suggest, as well as other some other liberal scholars, had suggested that there were no there weren't many records pertaining to Jesus. However, the more I dug into this, I began to find that not only do we have the four Gospels and treating them historically as four independent documents, but you also have 13 epistles ascribed to Paul. You also have, uh, outside of the New Testament, you have Clement of Rome who mentions Jesus, uh, dating from 95 to 96 AD. This is an early, early church, uh, patristic church father. And Ignatius, he writes from 105 to 115, the letter to the smyrdians Smyrnians, Polycarp's letter to the Philippians uh, dates from 110 to 140. Justin Martyr talks about the resurrection from 150 to 160 A.D. Tacitus in 64 A.D. He's a Roman uh, historian who talks about Jesus. Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, talks about Jesus in 80 A.D. Suetonius, another Roman historian, Historian talks about Jesus in one twenty, Pliny the Younger uh, from one eleven to one thirteen A.D. Lucian of Samosata one sixty five. This is a this was a playwright and uh, Thallus in, um, in fifty five A.D. Now we don't have his document um, on hand, but we do have uh, a quotation of him uh, from him in uh, Eusebius's history on the church. Celsus writing in 175 A.D. and a uh, and Amara Bar serapian in 70 A.D. Uh, all of these texts provide evidence that uh, that Jesus lived, that he that he died, and at least this is just taking it from a liberal perspective that at least his disciples thought they saw him alive on the third day. Of course, we know they did see him alive, mm-hmm. but this right. makes a very compelling case. Uh, to me it, it, it it's just completely mind-boggling that any any skeptic would say that Jesus of Nazareth never existed. you may not believe in him to be the Messiah well and good but but to say that he didn't exist it's just absolutely ludicrous for someone to right. make that statement
1: right right and and how many of those actually talk about Jesus um, um, dying of crucifixion?
0: Well, that's that's a good question. Um, You know, at least the Christian documents are going to talk about the resurrection or the crucifixion of Jesus, and talk about, of course, the atoning sacrifice that came along with that. Now, some of these Roman writers, they're going to talk about, uh, they're going to make mention of Jesus. Some of them may talk about. that, uh, that they, like Mara Serapion. I think is the one, if I'm not mistaken, who talks about that they, he compares them to Socrates and, uh, and mm. um, I, there's a third person, I can't remember the third offhand but he basically says that uh, they killed their wise king so there's a reference mm. to him dying it may not necessarily be right. by crucifixion but about him dying and of course in the right. early church the cross took a prominent role, which is again, weird that it would because it would be like right. someone in modern times saying, take up your electric chair, you know, or, or right. having that as the symbol for um, right. for the church. And so um, all of them make reference to Jesus and that he died and... Um, I, they may not mention necessarily crucifixion, but they'll say something to the degree. Most of them will, at least, will make mention to the fact that uh, that he was condemned by by the authorities.
1: Right, right, yeah. And then we got I, which is uh, irritating details. And I'm assur- I'm assuming that this is probably the one that you probably had to tweak a little bit to try to get that yeah. fit in because that case. You know, you- <laughs> See a little bit more of that embarrassing details, but irritating details, and I I like the way you did that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you're right. This the, these are irritating. I mean, these are embarrassing details, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they're irritating to the skeptic, you know, because because they uh-huh. do stand out. And really, if you think about it, you know, we talk about embarrassment, but but some of this may be a little bit irritating to the people who who had to tell these stories because you have. And what this is, for people who may not know, these are details in a historical story that are embarrassing to the ones who tell it. Certain details Mm -hmm. on the story that may not be very flattering. These are not things that you would make up if you're inventing a story. And so there's a lot of great historical weight placed on irritating or embarrassing details. And so there's several things. I mean, in, in one of the biggest... And in apologetic circles, this isn't anything new, but uh, it, it comes down to the testimony of women. The fact that Jesus was seen by women has a strong case for its history, for the historicity of Jesus' resurrection. Um, mm-hmm. In certain circles, in Jewish circles, the testimony of two women would, would have been accepted, but in Greco-Roman courts, they wouldn't have been accepted at all. Um mm-hmm. But even in Jewish, even in Jewish times, the testimony of a woman was seen less than the testimony of a man. Even though the testimony of a woman was accepted in Jewish courts, um, if there were two. But having said that, you you would not in, invent a story where women and Mary Magdalene being one of them who had a little bit of a scandalous past. We're not sure exactly what it right. was. But uh, the fact that you have these women, one of whom has a bit of a history, that's not something you would do if you're inventing a story. That's just, that's just the farthest right. thing from it. So that's one. Right. The fact that the disciples weren't able to give Jesus a proper burial is, is another irritating or embarrassing detail. The fact that Joseph of Arimathea was um, the one who, who buried Jesus, the member of the very own Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that, that condemned Jesus, that's an embarrassing detail. The fact that Peter denied Jesus three times uh, was embarrassing. The fact that the women were there at the cross, and only John was there—he was the only one. I mean, you think of all these manly men, you know? Here they were—they ran and hid, whereas the women—they right. stayed by the cross of Jesus. That's not something right. you want to be telling, <laughs> unless it right. unless it were true. So, so right. these details actually add a lot of historical ver- uh, veracity. To, to the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus.
1: Right. Yeah, and you uh, kind of, you know, to kind of piggyback with that, you look at, like, uh, uh, Jane Warner Wallace talking about um, about these embarrassing details like this. Um, with a, with a high, highly patriarchal society like that, um, if you were going to make up a story, you would make it very bravado. You would make it very much, um, hey, we saw, we won, we conquered. And and when you when you get the testimony of women involved, that was that was something that really um, was a shocker to people.
0: Yes, instead of saying we saw, we won, we conquered, it would be we we we, sang, we saw we fled and hid. I mean, so yeah. it was <laughs> completely different. I mean, that's not the right. story you go around telling unless there's some truth to it.
1: Right, right. Yeah, interesting. I, I it's. It's it's something that when you look at it, um, there's even uh, later on. You know, we find out James, Jesus's brother, who was actually um, he was a high rabbi. He was he was part of that Sanhedrin, and he was the leader of that. And he he converted. He saw a reason to convert. So yeah, and absolutely. Happens.
0: And that's actually one of the minimal facts that uh, uh, Gary Habermas presents. Um, right and And this well, there's actually seven. I mean, if you include the seventh one, which is accepted by seventy five percent, the other six are represented by at least ninety percent or so. Um, but and those, those six are Jesus died on the cross. The early disciples had experiences which led them to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples were willing to die for their belief, for the belief and for their belief in what they had seen. Uh, the preaching of the resurrection Was early in the church Which we'll get to that Here in a few moments And that Paul and James Were both transformed After seeing Jesus alive And then the seventh one That holds uh, The 75% um, Of of Historical support uh, By by historians Is the fact that the tomb Was found empty And I think we can build A strong case For the tomb Being found empty uh, There's a lot sure, of things yeah. We could go into With, with that But uh uh, I think we can build a strong case for them. Yeah,
1: and I think Habermas does a real good job um, actually um, parsing that out and actually explaining that a little bit further along the way. It just does a great job with that. Oh,
0: absolutely, absolutely.
1: All right, so F, uh, Sightings of the Risen Jesus.
0: Yes, yeah, so you have numerous sightings. I mean, I, I remember someone told me a story one time back in a church um, where I attended about a particular person. I won't mention who it was, won't mention what it was about, uh, just just for um, you know for 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 protection of the individual. But someone mentioned something to me about a particular individual, and I, I didn't think there was much truth to it. I thought, well, they can't they can't be true. And then someone else told me some the same story. And I thought, well, you know, maybe there's a little bit of something, but you never know. Maybe there's, maybe these two just didn't like them. Well, then a third person mentioned this person, then a fourth, and all the way to the seventh. The seventh person hardly said anything about anything, and for this person to say, "Yeah, this person done this," I really began to start believing that there was something to the story. Well, how about 500 people telling you the same story? Yeah, that's what we have with the resurrection of Jesus. Even more than that, we have. Um, Large groups of individuals saw Jesus alive at one time. We see a, a, the Matthew 28 account seems to indicate a large group. Acts 1 seems to indicate another large group. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 denotes at least 500 men who saw Jesus alive at one time. Now, if if he's only talking about, if the creed is only referring to men, that number could go up to 1,000 or 1,500 easily if, if it's only talking about men. So, but just taking the, the the most conservative estimate there, you, you have at least 500 people and possibly even closer to a thousand uh, by the time you include all the witnesses who've seen Jesus alive. That is a very compelling case to be made that there were numerous people roundabout who had seen Jesus over the course of Luke, uh, Luke tells us over the course of forty days. And doing performing what he says there were many infallible proofs during this time. That is astounding. That's that's just incredible. Yeah. If you really stop and consider yeah. that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we, uh, you know, you hear some people say, "Well, you know, they were uh, hallucinating, or or they had a, a mass hallucination." And you you start kind of opening that up, and you start finding out that hallucinations don't happen. In a group, you don't have all the same dream. You can have a hallucination one person, and it, and that person has that dream, but that doesn't happen in a large setting in a large group.
0: That's a very important point to be to be made. Hallucinations are individual things that occur. For instance, there was a lady I knew who I think I, I don't remember if I, I can't remember if I wrote put this in a book or if I put this. In a paper, it um, all starts blending together, <laughs> to, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But I remember I remember, uh, at a pastorate, I visited this woman who had been taking some medication uh, for pain that, that caused one of the side effects was was hallucinations. And she said that she had seen snakes on the wall, but she knew that the snakes weren't real. So even with hallucinations, if a person's in their right mind, they're, they can tell that the hallucination isn't real. The hallucination is an individual thing that happens within a, certain, a single person. Mass hallucinations, as skeptics often, often uh, uh, address, they don't happen in groups. They're very internal. They're, they're an individual thing. Now, people can be fooled by mass illusions like an illusionist. Uh, uh, like Copperfield and many others who perform mass illusions. That's one thing. But they're not hallucinations. Hallucinations are are something completely different. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a magician can fool individuals, but it would be very difficult for 500 people surrounding one person who could touch the person and see the person and for the person to do certain things that were beyond... Um, be, beyond doubt that he did them, um, a- a- unless you just want to become nihilistic and not believe in anything, th- then I think you have to ex- accept that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like uh, you were saying, um, mass illusions, um, one thing I kind of wanted to, I guess, pull out of that a little bit is it would have been a mass illusion that would have continued for 40 days absolutely um, yeah so th- I mean that, that doesn't happen that's not uh, that's, if we think logically and we hold the same standards of what we would hold um, any other uh, occurrence in our own natural lives um, we see this as being this this had to have been real these people were changed for the rest of their lives they were permanently changed. And pushed and drove in one direction after seeing the illusion.
0: Yeah, and that's a very good important. That's an important point to be made there as well. And piggybacking off that, off that, um, off that point, he, well, it's like what J. Warner Wallace has said in in Cold Case Christianity. The only consp- it would have taken a conspiracy to to pull off a mass illusion like that. And as as he said in Cold Case Christianity, the only fail proof conspiracy is if you if the conspiracy has two individuals and one of the people die then you only have mm-hmm. one person who knows the conspiracy but here's the thing if you had tw- 11 disciples at that time because Judas Iscariot was was out of the picture he he committed suicide mm-hmm. Th- think through this logically okay say say you have 11 people who pulled off an illusion then you have the Roman Romans, and you have the Jewish authorities coming after them. They're threatening them with death. They're threatening their families with death. Um, they are in hot water. One of them would eventually crack, and the truth would eventually have surfaced, and it would have exposed the entire movement. And people would have gone after another Messiah. They would Christianity would be dead. And th- right. th- it would not have been something to be honored. It would not be something to be cherished and promoted. It would be something to be scoffed at and just forgotten in in the halls right. of history. But that didn't happen. People were willing to die for what they knew was true. And so the th- th- even the whole aspect of it being like a sleight of hand, an illusion of some sorts, it, it just doesn't carry. If you really, if you really follow the evidence and follow the logic where it leads, it just doesn't hold.
1: Right. You know, the other thing that that I think really people um, may not really consider or hold to the same value is where Christianity was birthed out of. It wasn't a um, just everybody around a campfire singing kumbaya. It was. This is a violent. Uh, it was a hostile environment for Christianity to actually come up out of. Absolutely, it, it was, it, you you weren't favored if you said you were following Jesus of Nazareth.
0: And, and absolutely, and the fact that it has survived the greatest in in places of persecution uh, from from the very earliest times, th- there had to be something rooted and grounded in truth uh I mean you know if if Christianity were nothing more than a mere philosophy, you could have developed it like something like with like Buddhism. you could have had like the eight noble truths of Christianity and developed a philosophy around that you know but but no one was expecting a resurrection to happen in their own space and time. They thought that it was going to happen maybe at the end of time, but not mm-hmm. the way it happened. And so Christianity, the whole idea of resurrection with Jesus is a very unique concept, concept, and not something that anyone anticipated.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, You know, um, Robbie Zacharias. I heard him say it one time, and, and I might have this quote a little bit, a little bit turned around, but he did say um, that if Jesus was a charlatan, he would have said, "Bury me in that tomb." In three days spiritually, I'll rise. Exactly. That he physically, rose. He says, "You will see me again in three days."
0: And and I think a case can be made. At least that's what I'm hoping can be done. I think a case can be made that uh, that that you can make some connections to show that this is early. Um well, I mean, I think even if you look at the Creeds and look at the teachings that you find throughout the New Testament, that this is early material that 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 you're mm-hmm. that you're talking about. So w- why would you make that up? I mean, it makes no sense. Right. I mean, it makes no sense that I mean, you could have created a philosophy, you could have created a movement ending with his death, carried on a nice nice philosophy, and expect him to come and raise everyone from the dead at the end of time. That could have passed. But not the way it came about. Uh, it's just completely different than what anyone would have made up. Just, there's just uh, no connection. I mean, in, in the Old Testament there are prophecies, but as, as you've mentioned before, they're kind of shadows in some of those aspects. Yeah. So they don't they don't boldly stand out saying, "Hey, the Messiah is going to come, die, and be resurrected." It doesn't say that. You know, in in, in black and white, you can read between the lines and see it there. So yeah. It's not like anyone anticipated this to happen. This is something completely new that completely baffled their imaginations. And I think that's that's why, I mean, no one was expecting it. And I think personally, that's the reason why Thomas wasn't there whenever everything went down initially.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the scriptures even tell us, you know, that, that even the prophets of that time looked upon what we know now as what is history. They, they looked upon it as trying to figure out what was what is this saying what is this meaning and we look back upon it and say oh yeah right there it is we can see that that's the prophecy of jesus right here yeah absolutely but they longed to see that day
0: yeah, absolutely so
1: well, we better get moving here oh I-D. yeah <laughs> early new testament creed
0: this is probably one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite uh, of all the uh, evidences for the New Testament. And this because this is something actually fairly new to me. Is it, the whole concept's not new, but but it's it's fairly new. We're talking about early New Testament creeds. Now I have to I have to say that when I'm talking about early New Testament creeds, I'm not talking about the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or anything of the sort. Historians and New Testament scholars believe that in the New Testament, there are numerous early creeds and formulations that predate the New Testament writings themselves. Most likely, and most probably, uh, Paul picked up a lot of these creeds when he met uh, Peter and James. We we hear that John wasn't there when he met with them, but he met with Peter and James in Jerusalem and spent uh, several days with them there. And it was most likely during this time that he picked up these, this information and and passed it on. I memorized it. Uh, we know from some of the other writings of Paul that he says to, to individuals, to bring the parchments with you, bring the books with you. So he, we know that he had access to materials. Uh, so he most likely had access to these early New Testament creedal formulations there's there's a lot of things that go into these creeds. Sometimes there are rhythmic patterns to them, which shows that they were easily memorized. Kind of like the risen acronym, uh, that they had these 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 kind of like a uh, a rhythm to it. Like almost like they rhymed sometimes. Um, but there 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 were clues uh, that you see this First Corinthians three through First uh, Corinthians fifteen three through nine. Is such an example one of the best examples of creedal yeah. formulation, where it has the triple chiotes, which are which are Greek words, means and then it's like uh, Jesus was crucified and then he you know uh, sure. according to the scriptures and so on and so forth. Sometimes yeah. they'll have Aramaic terms like uh, Peter is called by his Aramaic name Cephas in the text, so there are Aramaisms that point to. The fact that Aramaic was was spoken by by um, Jewish individuals more it was the common language for Jewish individuals of that time spoken more than you know Greek and in Hebrew even but uh, the fact that you find these in the text indicate that they're early material so here, here's a few of them uh, there's there's many more but I'm just going to mention a few uh, the sermon summaries and Acts. That's early creedal material. So anytime you see a message preached by someone in the book of Acts, that is a summary of that person's message. They're hitting the high points. They don't go into all the details, but they hit the right. high points of the message. And so all of the sermon summaries in Acts are actually early material, and that's fascinating uh, to me. John 1, 1 through 1-4 most likely is an early creedal formulation. Um sure. Verse fourteen may be as well. Acts seventeen three, uh, Romans one three through four. Uh, it's, I'm skipping some of these. Romans ten nine. This fascinates me that this was an early confessional. Uh, the whole the whole concept that if you uh, believe in your heart that God has rose him from the dead, rose Jesus from the dead, and well, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you you shall be saved. That was an early confession by the church. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 through 20 uh, 23 through 26 the passage it talks about the Last Supper uh, I usually use this whenever I do communion. Uh, that's an early credo formulation. Uh, of course we mentioned first Corinthians 15 3 through 7 um, 1 Thessalonians 1 uh, 8 through 10. Is most likely a confession I mean a early creed And so there's a lot lot more And even in the New Testament Gospels There's what's called the homologia And um, this is a common message So um, Oscar Coleman writes a lot about this And so um, the the creeds are more formalized version But throughout all the books of the New Testament With possibly the exception of Revelation All of the books have Either some creedal material in it or this homologia, which means the common message, which points to early material that actually predates the Gospels or the New Testament documents themselves. So when you take a look at these creeds, you're taking a look, you're looking at information that that dates to most likely within five years, three to five years of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And quite honestly, some of this material may date even earlier. It's even Bart Ehrman, who is no friend to Christianity, believes that 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 dates no later than two years after the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection yeah. of Jesus. Um, right. And I've heard some, I think James D.G. Dunn, uh, who is not a conservative Christian, he dates this to within months. He dates this to the very same year that Jesus was crucified. Yeah. And so this wow. is like ground zero information. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and and one thing kind of, you know, to, to kind of bring this kind of around just so we, so we hear it, um, in that culture, um, it was a very audible culture. We, they listened to the scriptures. They would go to synagogue. They would go to, you know, church, modern church now, but it's called it synagogue then. And they would, they would hear the word and they would hear these things. And then when these guys would get up and start preaching and teaching this they they would audibly hear it because the cost of of scriptures in that time was was very expensive so to have um have books or to have even scrolls um they they would they would be very expensive to have around and so by by formulating these um creeds or these uh rhythms it allowed them to basically pinpoint spots in the scriptures and another thing to remember is when uh, Paul and Peter and these guys are talking about scriptures. They're actually pointing to the Old Testament. They're not pointing to the New Testament. That hasn't even been put together yet. They're they're saying, "Look at the old stuff. Look at the Old Testament."
0: Yeah, and it's because they're seeing the fulfillments uh, being made in Jesus. From the Old Testament and, and one of the ways that they did that Is if if we look at the stories of Jesus' resurrection uh, It was interesting that Jesus took time To go through the scriptures And show them how these things must be fulfilled And that would be that would be a teaching lesson That I would want well, to man. be in on
1: <laughs> well, man, <laughs> Yeah, the road to Emmaus is probably my biggest I want to see that tape played over and over again
0: if 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 there was ever an intensive that I wanted to attend,
1: ever a class I wanted
0: to attend, that would be one. I would want to want to yeah, attend amen. that one.
1: Amen. Yeah, sign me up. But but a couple of other things, yeah.
0: historically speaking, I, I would I would mention here as well. I, I am convinced not everyone agrees with me on this. So this is Chiltonology for what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I believe that they had writing tablets. Back in ancient times So I think for someone like Matthew um, It would have been no problem For him to have taken notes from uh, Of Jesus uh, From Jesus' messages Now obviously he wouldn't have been able to write down everything you know so there there would be part of the rabbinic process would be writing down materials repeating materials over and over and over again until until it was memorized but but right. i have no i have no problems thinking that matthew and maybe some others could have easily taken notes about jesus's messages in fact some people believe myself included that barnabas may have been one of the early 70 you remember when jesus sent the disciples out he had a group of 70 disciples There there are reasons to believe that Barnabas may have been one of those 70 sent out. Being that he was a Levite meant that he would have been of pretty substantial wealth and would have had a pretty good education as well, uh, being from the Levitical tribe. So he could have been one who took notes for all we know. There may have been others. So there could have been these writing tablets. Now, this is not the same as paper, but these writing tablets where they could have compiled these notes and uh, kept them for safekeeping and later um, had it part of this creedal material. Um, and, and here, I'm just speculating, but, but definitely you have evidence of, of, of the creedal material where they repeated this information and learned this information, and you do have evidence of parchments. But the fact that the community came together as it did, I think they could have, it would have been expensive, but they could have still raised money to 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 have these New Testament documents as they did. I think um, Craig Keener was the one who mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, that that a book the size of the Gospel of Mark would have cost the equivalent of $3,000 to construct. So it would have been a large undertaking. So you think of Matthew yeah. and Luke, you're talking probably closer to $6,000 for something that large. That's yeah. why, also, they weren't able to add everything about Jesus I think right. perhaps that's why a lot of the early material about Jesus's life was left out, uh, sure. because they were focusing on the most important events of his life there as well. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I do think that I think that from what I have read and studied, I think the culture was a lot more literate than we give them credit for. Especially, I mean, sure. that being the Jewish culture, the Greco-Roman not so much, but the Jewish culture that is. But yes, I, I wholeheartedly believe that that the biggest area of learning was from memorizing, hearing this material over and over and over again, and um, and repeating it. I just mentioned the other because I do think that there could be reasons to believe that uh, there could have been note taking that happened sure. throughout the ministry of Jesus.
1: Well, it makes sense. I mean, you got some shared. You've got some shared. Uh... Information between some of the some of the gospels um, that that actually point to a source.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and, and, so, and and so and I think but, that I think too that too whenever whenever Paul met with a the church, they could have had early forms of 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 material there that he could have looked through and seen in addition to. The, the creeds and other things that he would have memorized and committed to memory uh, so right. I, th- I think there was a large body of information probably more than we realize
1: oh yeah yeah unfortunately we we got we got screens in front of us all the time and so we we uh, we don't uh, value the the the, the knowledge bank
0: that we could have well it's like it's like I was talking with someone just the other day and it's with these smartphones I remember a time yeah. when I when I could memorize 20 30 phone numbers and and now I'm lucky yeah. to remember my own you know because yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah
0: and so I think that people in those days could have probably well in fact I know I mean in fact the early rabbis if they, before they could teach on a passage of Scripture, they had to have committed it to memory. And um, in fact, it was regular practice that many people committed the entire Old Testament to memory. Sure. And so with sure. Jesus quoting the passages of Scripture from the Old Testament as he did, he didn't have it in front of him. He must have yep. at, at least memorized the Psalms, Isaiah, Zechariah, Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy more than any other book in the in the uh, of the Old Testament, which I find kind of odd. But but he does. He quotes Deuteronomy more than anything else. A lot of the other minor prophets. He quotes Jeremiah. He quotes. So it's it's possible he could have committed a bunch of material to memory, and maybe that's what he was doing in his twenties, uh, in early thirties right. before he went to ministry, committing the word of God to memory. Maybe that's what he was doing. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, in, you know, um, that culture of that time period, um, uh, young Jewish boys would, uh, Jewish children would grow up um, in synagogue and actually memorizing the first five books mm-hmm. um, as, as children. And then um, as they would uh, get a little bit older and get to that uh, 12 and 13 age, they would actually make a trip to uh, the temple and actually... Uh, be dedicated, so on so forth, moving into a new level and and therefore then being picked up by a rabbi or studying under a rabbi. absolutely so in so, uh, newfound faith yes, yeah, so, and
0: the newfound faith basically comes from Gary Habermas's uh, minimal facts talking about uh, the, the transformation of of james and and Paul. Uh, James was, was not a, He was a brother of Jesus But he wasn't a believer in Jesus Of Jesus and his Jesus' earthly ministry But it's funny Later on after Jesus' resurrection He becomes not only a Christian but the, but the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem And here again I find it kind of interesting That James did and not Peter um, mm-hmm. Many people believe that Peter Became a pastor of of, a, of some churches in Rome that's, that's a possibility He spent a lot of time in Rome But um, but nonetheless, it's, it is it is kind of interesting to me how that how that panned out. But Paul was one. Paul was an intellectual genius. I mean, the man. You look through his material, you see the way he uses logic. It is impeccable. You see, mm-hmm. you see the sources he quotes not only from the Old Testament, but he's quoting that there are reasons to believe he quotes from um, uh, several even philosophers. That there are hints of Plato. Uh, that he's that he's referencing Plato in some of his messages, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, Socrates and some others, and and he's doing it uh, not because he holds that Socrates and Plato are are the inspired word of God, but he's trying to reach cultures using material they would have understood to bring forth the message of the gospel, and so. Uh, Paul, I'm just absolutely amazed by him but but he was transformed. He was going after the church because he thought they were a bunch of heretics and he was he was out for blood. but it's amazing on the road to uh, to, to, to Damascus that he had the encounter with Christ and uh, it completely transformed his life and he became a follower of Jesus after that. I mean it, those right. things the fact that you see individuals who once were enemies, of the church becoming advocates for the church, something powerful had to happen for that to take place.
1: Right. Yeah, and you know he, he was you know goes in and talks about you know Paul um, holding the coats of those that stoned uh, Stephen and actually uh, condoning that and actually uh, allowing that to go on and and he's the one then that turns around and changes. Uh, the view of Christian thought, absolutely. As, 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 yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Pretty neat. Um, well, you know, it's been pretty good covering all this, Brian. And I think uh, um, what a wonderful time we've had doing this. And uh, I just I want to encourage those that haven't got into uh, getting the book uh, to pick one up at your local bookstore or uh, online and uh, dig in um, the, the books out there um, we're open for questions we want to engage uh, in, with people all across the country here so uh, we want to we kind of close out here and, and so uh, we want to say thank you for listening and we want to say thank you for your time because we at Donatoa Christie want to thank you for spending that time together with us because we value it and our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as you strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and is a reliable information source. Join us next time on the Bellator Christian Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, your on, friends.
0: It's my privilege to announce to you that the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is now available on Kindle. So you can get the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics in all formats now. It's available on Kindle, as well as paperback, hardcover, and you can also find it on the Nook at barnesandnoble.com. So please go and order your copy today and share it, or maybe you'd like to share it with a friend. Whatever the case may be, help us as we get the word out and let people know that we have a faith worth believing in. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting bellatorchristie.com and the Bellator Christi Podcast.